Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined on the other line up there in New York City, Fangraph's own John Taylor. John, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Uh, John, it's like 70 degrees here in Knoxville, Tennessee, and okay. it's not good. Very upset about it. It's raining that, a bunch, which I love. Is that not is that not normally the temperature down there? No, it's snow at this time of year. No, because we're. I mean, it's mountainous. We're in. It's right, a mountainous okay. area. Um, but it's currently seventy degrees. Uh, it's probably in the sixties now when we're recording. But um, yeah, it's sixties uh, to seventies this week and rainy, wow. and it feels like a, a full spring week. And I'm very pro rain, very pro cloudy uh, days. It's my okay. favorite kind of day. But um, the the weather I can do without, the, the temperature I could do without, John. I, I, it's December. I, I want, like, New Year's is in a couple of days, and it's just, uh, it's very well, discombobulating. Yeah, wanna, it, it's very weird to have the holidays when it's warm out. That was, yes. That's always the case. Like, you never, you know, that there's a reason the song is called White Christmas. It's not called Hot Christmas. <laughs> I gotta work on that. But. <laughs> is there a song called White Christmas? I, I, yeah, Bing Crosby. Okay. Uh, and possibly others. I'm sure other people have done versions of it. No, I'm, I'm curious not a... if there's a song called Hot Christmas. <laughs> there probably is. There probably is. There has to be a Hot Christmas in it. There's not, if it's not done yet, uh, somebody's going to put it together or some kid will do it on TikTok or something. I hope so. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you hope on, so? Give us, give us Hot Christmas. Have you seen folks? I mean, you're in New York, so you, I'm sure, see this a lot more than me here in Knoxville, but I saw it a lot in Atlanta when I still live downtown, but... Um, have you seen people actively do like the Instagram stuff that we see and laugh about on, on Twitter, like the, the TikToks? Cause I've seen it a couple of times and there's nothing more uncomfortable than seeing someone put together a TikTok in real time or like, it, it's just one of those, the Simpsons type thing is, um, no, the kids are wrong. Uh, that's kind of what I, what I think about when, when I see it. But, um, I, I don't know. Do you, do you see that? What do you think when you see that out and about? When I see people doing TikTok stuff out? Yeah, like when they're putting it together and you see them trying to get the right angles and you see the amount of time they spend on it and everything that's involved. I don't know. I, I mean, I've, I've never seen anyone actually working on, on creating a TikTok video. Hmm. What about an Instagram post? Like a, a solid uh, Instagram post? I mean, I've seen people taking photos, but never mm. like a... Never like a... What's it called? A, a, never going through all the effort of like organizing a dance or whatever. Really? Okay, yeah. I've seen it multiple times. That's wild, John. We got to get you out of the out of the apartment. No, that that's I, I I'm I'm better off not confronting the <laughs> You're TikTok probably not wrong. youth. <laughs> You're probably I don't not trust wrong. them. Well, speaking of youth, you mentioned uh, at the top of the show, or I guess um, I wanted to mention at the top of the show that you mentioned that when you when you saw that you were older than Jay Bruce, I saw you tweet this out earlier. That that's when it hit you that you were old, and this is all in reference because Kyle Seeger retired today uh, for the Seattle Mariners, and his wife announced the retirement on his Twitter account, which is great. And he's just gone. Like we're just never going to see Kyle Seeger ever again. He's he's just gone forever. But um, a great way to go out, and uh, crazy that uh, he's at what ten years in the league, nine years, whatever it was, um, moving on. But yeah, solid. I guess uh solid career and uh 
I don't know. I, I have two things there. What did you make of Kyle Seeger uh, calling it quits and uh, the whole Jay Bruce age thing? <laughs> well, the Jay Bruce age <laughs> thing is just the fact that I don't know why I'm surprised that there are baseball players who are both my age and younger, given that I have been watching baseball for years now and that, you know, we have guys who are like we wonder Franco was born in literally like 2001. I think we don't so, need to like, talk about that. Yeah. But I mean, when it comes to Seager, I, I don't know if there's all that much to say, at least from a non Seattle Mariners fan perspective, obviously if you're a Mariners fan, that dude was great for 10 years there. And it's a real shame that like every other uh, great Mariners franchise hero of the past, he will be leaving both without a championship and in his particular case, having never played in a playoff game, which is just remarkable to me. Um, but on the other hand, they got him for his entire career. They'll never have the weirdness of what Kyle Seager would look like in like an A's uniform or something. Would it really uh, look weird? Is it that much? No, is it I mean, that? I, I, it's I, not like no, Emmett Smith every, in a Cardinals uniform. No, every every player at some point belongs in an A's uniform. That just feels. <laughs> I think it's what's strange to me is just the fact that he is choosing to retire, which I don't, I didn't necessarily know if he was going to get particularly much of a reception on the open market as a 34 year old third baseman who is pretty much league average offensively and who defensively is again, probably about league average. I, I didn't really get the sense there was going to be too much of a market for his services um, I am a little surprised that he didn't want to try to make it stick one or two years with, you know, with maybe a contending team to try to get to the postseason to try to get to the World Series. But I don't know, maybe he just figured for himself, you know what, it it meant something to him to play his whole career in Seattle. And he just didn't want to play anywhere else. Hey, uh, made his money, uh, made his money. He had yeah. a good career. He, you know, he'll go down as a franchise icon there for this particular generation of Mariners fans, made an all star game, got some down ballot MVP votes, won a single gold glove. I mean, Kyle Seeger is probably going to be a guy more. He's probably going to be someone we remember more in the guys category of twenty <laughs> of the twenty tens than yeah. as someone we remember as like a star. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the very least, he had some really good seasons in there. I mean, from twenty fourteen through twenty sixteen, he hit two seventy one, three forty four, sixty eight with a one twenty six OPS plus and twenty seven home runs a year. That's great for a third baseman who was also playing exceptional defense at that point. And those three years, he was worth, uh, wow. I mean, those three years, he was worth 18 and a half wins by himself. You know, that's a hell, that's a hell of a nice peak there. I mean, it's yeah. not a long one, and it's certainly not going to get him any consideration for any kind of post-career anything. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, he had a nice peak. He got to play in a, in a really nice town with a really great fan base. And, you know, now he gets to be a Mariner for life. I'm sure he'll have, you know, once Jerry DePoto's gone, he can get a job with the team. Or maybe he can join the the game the the post game broadcast or pre game broadcast on I is it still root up there or are they in Alabama Valley whatever I don't even know yeah that root stuff I, I I don't know I'm not familiar like I, I don't know now Either I got now I want to go back and look at I don't I don't know if you're like this I just don't I don't pay attention to that when I'm on MLB TV um, like just using uh, different broadcasts and like the regional stuff I don't. I don't ever notice it. I, I probably should be more aware, but when I'm watching uh, one particular team that week, I don't really pay attention to. Well, I, I other, just I mean, everything's Fox Sports South, whatever to me. Yeah, and it, and it was Fox for so yeah. long, like it didn't really matter. But yeah, I mean that's that's a pretty nice career for for Kyle Seager. I mean, hey, 37 wins above replacement. He was worth about as much of, over the course of his career as Eric Chavez was, or Troy Glaus, or you know, a few wins shy of Ryan Zimmerman, a couple wins. Here's here's a guy. Here's some guys. A couple wins north of Jeff Cirillo and Travis Fryman. 
Man, and I've I think, not heard those names in a long time. And I think when we, when if you were to consider Kyle Seeger going forward in the future, I think he would probably land more on the. I don't know though, but I think he does have a bit of that Chavez or that Glouse to him. And no, he wasn't. I don't think he quite had the peaks either. Of those guys had in terms of Glouse offensively or Chavez defensively. But it has that same vibe of you know a guy who was with one team for a long time and became a kind of. Uh, a franchise player at third base for them. I think he's certainly, you know, he certainly, you can certainly say more about him than, you know, oh, he was our generation's Jeff Cirillo. I don't, I don't really think that's fair to, to, to Kyle Seeker. But I think somewhere in that Eric Chavez, Troy Glouse, um, and again, Ryan Zimmerman, I think Ryan Zimmerman is a slightly different case, but I, I think that is a comfortable tier because, you know, and then talk about career war, the next step up among active players is Manny Machado, Josh Donaldson, and Nolan Arenado. And I don't think we're ever going to confuse Kyle Seeger for any of those guys, except for again at his peak. But yeah, I feel comfortable looking at Kyle Seeger as like a Eric Chavez, Troy Glass type player. He was very good for a good short period of time, and unfortunately just didn't have the career stamina to to make anything bigger of that. I mean, this is the kind of funny thing. Uh, Kyle Seeger almost certainly will end his career with more with more wins above replacement than Justin Turner. Oh wow who's down at 32.6 and is all roughly, I think, almost the same age as Seager is, if not older, or if not... He's got to uh, be right older. Turner's got to be older than Seager. I think Turner is 30, 33 or 34, but regardless, like, you know, and he's and that, that's another player who is starting to slow down both offensively. Oh, I was way off. Turner's 37. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. <laughs> I thought Turner was old. <laughs> yeah, so, I yeah, I would not be surprised if... You know, if, if it doesn't, be yeah, Kyle Seeger ended up having a better career, better quote unquote career war wise than Justin Turner. Yeah. Although I, you know, I'm pretty sure if you gave them the options to swap each other's careers, I think Turner would just laugh in your face and walk away. So, mm-hmm. but also better teams like he, like the yeah. Turner and, yeah, finding his way course, to Los Angeles yeah. was the best thing that ever happened in his career. Of course. Yeah. And, and it's a shame that Kyle Seeger couldn't have had something similar happen to him or he couldn't, he, you know, that not one of those Mariners teams that got, you know, just on the doorstep over the course of those 11 years that not a single one of them could, could make it happen. That's that to me is the real shame of it. A guy who, you know, spends his entire career at one place, but he, you know, but he never gets to play in a single postseason game. That's a real shame. Absolutely. Well, before we go further, don't forget folks, you can follow John on twitter.com at J a Taylor. Follow myself at chase underscore Thomas. Go check out chase Thomas podcast.com today. Every single episode of this very podcast can be found on the website. Go subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com just type in your email it's free um and then spotify they have ratings now they have reviews so it'd be great if you're a sp- if you're a spotify listener to uh leave us a five-star rating on spotify that would be that would be great john and i during this off season uh every thursday on this very podcast so tap in for that uh john it's national pat like do, are you ready to get into today's national pastime to, oh, the history, yes. Let's, oh, yes, let's the history. history. Yes. We'll do the history. Let's do the history. <laughs> let's do some history, John. Um, right. You're going to like this one. You're going to like this okay. one. Okay. Okay. Um, today, and folks, go check out nationalpastime.com for all of this. It's a great site that I check every day. It's great. Um, Philip G. Epstein. I think you're going to know where I'm going with this. An American... Yeah, I, I got a vibe here. <laughs> an American screenwriter, best known along with his identical twin, Julius... And Howard Koch for writing the 1942 Academy Award-winning screenplay, screenplay Casablanca. Have you seen it? 
Uh, I'm familiar with this particular film, yes. Okay. I don't think I've ever actually sat down and watched it. Um, welcomes his fraternal twin grandsons into the world. In 28 years, the 62nd younger brother of Paul, Theo, will become the youngest GM in Major League Baseball history when the Red Sox hired him in 2002. I didn't know he was related to uh, Philip uh, G. Epstein, the, the mastermind behind Casablanca. I did not know this. Did you? I remember, yeah, I remember that fact came out pretty shortly after he, or around the time he was hired, either hmm. before or after, um, or in the, during the whole thing that happened. Wild to think that, that the OF scene was hired to general manage a team at 28 years old. That is really hard to believe. Yeah. That's why he's like 36 right now. Absolutely <laughs> crazy. Um, yeah, it's, boy, you talk about one of the most impactful front office hire is probably in the sports history, just in terms of all the various ways in which Theo, almost in which Theo Epstein basic, not, not alone, but the ways in which Theo Epstein and his presence within the sport changed the sport, you know, not just the, not just the, you know, the, getting the, the Red Sox, ending the Red Sox world series drought and the Cubs world series drought, but everything it took to end those things and the way baseball got remade in the process it's really amazing how much of an impact he's had on now 25, almost, or yeah, about exactly 20 years of baseball history. It's bonkers. And he's just like done. He can just do whatever he's, yeah. uh, I mean, I know I, the, all that stuff about, you know, saying, you know, I'd like to just go work for the, for the commissioner's office and try to, you know, try to make the game quote unquote better, you know, get some action back into it, which, you know, good for him, I suppose. But, yeah, it's just amazing to think that, you know, who would have thought that this kid getting hired by the Red Sox would would turn up be this like world-shifting moment in the history of the sport. Think about how weird it's got to be though for him to be like, "Man, I I fixed the Red Sox and the Cubs." Yeah. Like what is the point of doing anything? Like, I don't know, you you assume that the progress is linear and that it's just going to take all this time to get to the the mountaintop, but that's not just, just not how life works. And he like mm-hmm. just reached the mountaintop so young yeah. and did it. He did it like you're not topping either of that. Like you're, it's not no, happening. You, that, you've get bringing championships to Boston and Chicago. You climbed Everest and K two. Yeah. Now what? <laughs> like I, like, I would leave baseball. Like I would just do something else. Like the I Billy Bean thing. Go do something else. He did, he did what he did in Boston and decided I want an even more difficult challenge. Mm-hmm. That's the really crazy one to me that he he looked at the Cubs and was like, yeah, I can fix this. And then he did. He, he did. Um, just he really a, did. An incredible story. We're going to get a I movie, right? Like he gets a movie. He, I'm sure. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer at some point, eventually, yeah. whenever whenever baseball decides to honor him in whatever capacity that looks like. He's almost certainly a Hall of Famer. Um, yeah, that's just that is just wild to think that you can just. Because and this is something I I I know most fans understand, but I think it's similar not not in the same depth and not to the same not in the same way. But for people who remember what the Cubs were like, not just pre championship, but just like the entirety of their history, basically. Like when you were growing up and watching baseball, you knew the Cubs were a joke. They were always a joke. I knew, and I I went to a game. I went to Wrigley. My dad flew myself and my great grandmother up when I was super young, um, because my great grandmother loved the Cubs. She just loved. I, it was a WGN thing where she just watched them all, and it was she was home during the day, so she was watching the Cubs during the day because they played only during the day. 
So that was like yeah. a whole thing. And she just loved the Cubs. So we went and watched. But like that was the whole thing. It's like they're the running joke growing up is just the, the Cubbies. Like they're just bad. Like they were the they're lovable joke. losers. Yeah, they're lovable. They were lovable losers. And I know that changed a little bit in the 90s when they got, you know, Kerry Wood and Sammy Sosa and, and all that other shit. But it did not really change. I don't think it's in the same way, I think. And obviously, this is to a much bigger degree. The difference between the Patriots pre-2001, when they were just a clusterfuck of a franchise that, you know, every now and again would pop up. And then they went to the Super Bowl would be to get absolutely destroyed as they did when they played uh, Chicago and then when they played Green Bay. Like, they were bad. They had no good players. They were about to leave New England entirely. And then all of a sudden, you know, over the last 20 years, they're not just the mo- the dominant model franchise in football, but the dominant model franchise in all of professional sports. Yep. That's, it, it is insane to think about that. If you ask any old Boston sports fan, or if you just ask them, like, you know, how, how like, it, it, all of them have, their, have had their heads and minds endlessly blown by this reality they live in. Where the Patriots are the best, or if not, well, maybe not currently, but I don't know who the best in the NFL is right now. But that there was a long stretch there where the Patriots were a, like the greatest football team in God's history. Same thing with the Cubs. The idea that you could make the Cubs not just good, but like legitimately good was just crazy to me. Sure, yeah. it was crazy to Cubs fans, and then he did it because nothing Theo Epson can do, apparently, except for sign good free agent contracts. Oh, Carl Crawford joke. Man, I remember the Carl Crawford, Adrian Gonzalez. Hey, Adrian Gonzalez was good for a bit. Mm. Um, And he was a prime piece of the Nick Punto trade. Nick Punto. Nick Punto. I wonder what he's up to these days. Um, John, there was a high school or college ball somewhere. I would I would almost guarantee he's a coach somewhere. Hmm. Okay. Um, Uh, What were you going to ask before that? The 2022 catchers, actually, John. So uh, we have the Minnesota Twins in our season review. Getting into the AL Central uh, this week um, after wrapping up the AL East last week. But um, I wanted to first ask you about two different stories that I I read today that I wanted to pick your brain on. Um, One of them comes from the delightful Fangraphs.com. And we've talked a, a lot about just that, like, the dearth of talent and just names at the catcher position in major league baseball right now is kind of preposterous. Like it's amazing to, to think about who is behind the plate from the majority of these teams now and like who the best of the best is. And it's just, for me, it's kind of like, it it just always blows my mind when I go through it. And when I was going through this piece on the 2022 catcher rankings, I'm like, man, this position has changed so much from what it looked like when I was growing up. There, the like, it's just completely different. Do you do you get that same feeling when you look at this and you see JT Romuto at one, and then you're just like, man, Alejandro Kirk at nine, and you go through it and you're looking at it and you're like, man, this is a lot of dudes that I just I don't know that that's where I'm at. Do you do you have that same sentiment when you look at just the best of the best in catchers and that just where that position is now? I mean. I think, I mean, there, it's been noted, I think, for a while that catching has on the whole just been getting worse in like, the, or that there are just fewer like good catchers. I think um, if I, if everyone wanted to wait while I did a uh, five, like five minutes worth of baseball reference digging around, I'm sure you could probably do a quick search to see how many uh, two plus war catchers there have been over the course of decades. I actually might just do it now while I'm just babbling, but 
<laughs> yeah. But um, point being, there, I think what I think what exists right now is a catcher. I mean, catcher has always historically been such a difficult position, right? Both in terms of what you have to learn and have to put up with defensively, what you have to learn defensively, managing a staff. You know that for the longest time, like if you were, especially coming up in in a play in a in an organization, that if you showed any real offensive skill set, but you know you were not basically Buster Posey level as as a catcher, you were probably going to get moved off the position as quick as as most teams had a chance. I mean, remember Bryce Harper? All the talk initially that he was, you know, when the when the Nationals drafted him, it was as a catcher because he played as a catcher in in high school in Vegas, man, or community college. You know that, but that was never going to happen. You know that was never ever going to happen unless Bryce Harper had suddenly shown uh, the defensive skills of an in his prime Johnny Bench. The, the Nationals were never ever going to let him be behind the plate because he's just a hitter like that is just too valuable to put behind the plate. And and I think that's the thing. Like you look at that, and, and granted, like this is a fantasy list, so I think you know certainly that explains or helps explain why you see a guy like uh, Alejandro Kirk as high as he is because that's, that's based just more on the availability of production because he's you know he's going to be playing probably mostly as a DH or more as a DH than as a catcher, I would guess. But I, I think that is probably part of it is that you just don't really see teams unless they're guys like Will Smith or JT Realmuto, where there is a real, uh, not to, not two way, but uh, where they can play both ways above average, where it's just eight, or, or as, as Adley Rutschman is going to be. The Orioles were never going to move Rutschman off of catcher or, and are not going to unless they have to, because he's a great, great defensive catcher who's also a really great hitter. And that's kind of the thing. It's like, there are only going to be so many quote unquote good catchers as there are guys who who are both good defensively and good hitters at the same time. And that's really, really hard to do. I mean, the best hitting catcher last year uh, was probably Salvador Perez and he's a terrible defensive catcher. Yeah. The Royals only put him there because, well, I think in part because they just don't really care, but (laughs) I mean, that that's part of it is like those those good offensive seasons, I think you were used to seeing, especially too, because like guys aren't like Mike Piazza anymore where they're just out there forever. Yeah. You know? Like we just saw Buster Posey retire, you know, mm-hmm. and Piazza played for how many more seasons did Posey did? Probably another a lot. or so. Yeah. Like he, he played, Mike Piazza played 16 years in the, in the big leagues. What about Pudge? 19, or yeah, or Pudge Rodriguez. And granted those two are like, those two are like, not even those two. And so the Pudge is like a Carlton Fisk level physical freak. Yeah. You know, they just, just didn't age. But again, I think that's something similar. It's like you just, if you have a catcher who is, and I think this is probably an organizational developmental thing too. If you have a catcher who's already kind of there defensively, you're not going to worry so much about offense either, because I think teams have, and I think this is the big difference too, between or a big difference too, between now and the past. In the past, if you weren't hitting, I think it was a lot harder for teams to, if not understand, then at least evaluate and contextualize the value you were bringing to the roster otherwise. You know, there was no, you know, defensive metrics have always been shaky and shoddy. Not shoddy, but they've always been circumspect. It's not even the word. Defensive metrics have always been kind of circumspect. Circumspect's a word. A word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Either way, you know, we're always dealing with weird sample sizes and all kinds of noise that we can't filter out. And that's obviously probably the most true defense when it comes to defensive statistics for, for catching. But I think now that we live in an era where you can quantify and measure things like framing or blocking or, you know, just general, just the, the things catchers generally do, there is, I think, probably a more forgiving attitude toward a guy, say, like, uh, who, like a Jacob Stallings, for example. 
a really good defensive catcher who is an okay hitter. You know, maybe in years past, that guy is just a backup because he, he doesn't quote unquote hit enough to be, you know, to, pr- to produce enough like starter value. But I think now the difference is no, no, no. We can see thanks to these defensive metrics that just because a guy has an OPS plus of 80 or whatever, he's still bringing a lot of value to the team because he's a really great framer or because he's really great at blocking pitches or because he's really good at work. I guess this, we don't have a, a number for this, but he's really good at working with a young staff. I mean, Jeff Mathis hung on in this league forever. Thanks to that. So I, I do think, I do think it's hard. I mean, granted, like there have always been bad hitting catchers. I would wager that if you were to add up collectively, the numbers at every position in major league history, catcher would probably be, of the non-pitcher positions, it would be probably either catcher or shortstop at the very at the very bottom in terms of overall total offense. Maybe no center field's had too many weird outliers, but actually, I mean, I mean to be fair, Jay Jaffe's jaw system kind of does, and I think catcher is well, the catcher standard of the Hall of Fame is very high. But regardless, being a catch, being a good catcher is hard, and I think a lot of teams have probably decided that if you can just do the catching part of that, we won't worry so much about the offense. If you can do the offense part of it, but you're not so great at the defense. Then we're just going to move you off it because we don't want to make, we don't want to break you back there and it's not worth our time. We can just get a better defender who's going to be more valuable anyway because we can put your bat wherever we feel like it. And if you're a great defender and a great hitter, well, cool. You're also a unicorn. There are like five of those guys. There probably have always only ever in a given season been like five of those guys. I think we're just seeing it more now because we're seeing a lot more guys who are good defensively, but just you know the, the hitting is just not really there. I think as teams, like I said, teams just aren't I think as concentrated on that anymore. Or yeah. as focused, rather. Yeah, and I think that permeates across a lot of different positions now. So I, I don't know. I just uh, I wonder if that will change. Maybe Joey Bart and Retchman and guys like that flip the script a little bit um, in the coming years, but we'll have to see. Um, also, the two way prospect thing where Shohei Otani is just a marvel, and him putting it all together this year for a hapless angels team was depressing but it was still exciting and riveting to watch him do what he did and it was great but guys like that don't come around very often and baseball perspectives had a really good piece about what it means to be a two-way prospect and why that's so rare what did you this was a piece that they uh, posted because it's the end of the year that i missed uh, in july but i do think it's interesting and like why it's so complicated and why you don't see this this very often um what did you make of this and what do you make of just two-way players in uh in baseball yeah i mean the the premise of the article is is pretty straightforward it's just re- like as i was saying with catchers it's equally hard to be a two-way player because one it's just really hard to be that good at two completely different things that you know pitching and hitting do not line up equally it's not like it's the same skill re- being repeated it's it's two completely different things obviously and two the other part of it being that the Again, if you were happen to be better at one or the other, the system of baseball that exists within within the U.S., especially for amateurs, for high schoolers, for even as far down, I guess, I mean, in Little League, you can get away with being a two-way player because there's just more room to do it. But by the time you reach places like high school and especially college, they start to filter you one direction or the other because, you know, they want you to do what you're best at. And granted, you still see two-way players in high school and college, but I think that's more a result of just uh, parsing part of that is i think just roster space part of that is scholarship limits so that you know it, it is just more useful to be able to have a guy who can do more than one thing it just makes your roster more flexible i think we're seeing that to a certain degree in baseball or in mlb i would be curious if we ever do get to a point with the way things are in baseball now where we start to see more something more equivalent to 
that end of roster college player who is both a kind of maybe like a first baseman or an outfielder, but also a reliever. And I think that's that's the part to me uh, to, at the conclusion of the article that, that states that the best hope for a two-way player probably is something like that, a non-Otani two-way player, because that, as it makes clear, Otani is unique and he is not the he is so far from the norm. It is it is ridiculous to expect we will probably even ever get anything like that again. And then part of that too is because Otani came from a completely different developmental system where they just let him keep doing this. But again, in part because he was so good at both of them that it was like, well, why shouldn't we let him do both of those? But I think it also helped that he was a DH. You know, he did not have to play the field regularly. He was able to take time off between his starts. You know, I think he played the outfield a little bit in Japan, but the his Japanese team and then the Angels as well realize that the best way to make this work is he's a pitcher but he's and he's a dh if he's going to do this if he's going to do the hitting part of this he has to be a, a some kind of dh or outfielder i think and i think that would be the case too going forward i think that probably and maybe you do get to that point i know that for a brief period of time in the immediate years after otani showed up i think there were a lot of teams kind of digging around to see you know who are the guys who might make for some decent two-way players who are and i think they're the way they were looking at it was this guy clearly can't do this one thing you know, because some of the names that came up, Matt Davidson, Christian Bethencourt, um, trying to think of some, some of the other kind of notable guys who were being considered as two-way players. Regardless, those were guys who couldn't hit or who could not hit well, could not hit consistently, but they had good enough an arm that a team was like, well, we might as well see if they can pitch because if they can do that, then theoretically, one, they could be a good reliever or something. Two, they're a reliever who can actually hit. Or they're a pitcher who can actually hit. We don't have to pinch hit for them. We can actually use them as a as a weapon off the bench. I think something like that, or something probably like what Michael Lorenzen was in Cincinnati and might be in, in Los Angeles with the Angels, where, again, it's it's primarily a reliever who also is available as a pinch hitter, as a backup outfielder, as a, as a pinch runner. Basically a reliever with more versatility. I think if you're going to get a real two-way, or not a real, sorry, if you're going to get uh, or at least the two-way player I would expect to see in baseball going forward. Obviously, it's not Otani. It would be something closer, I think, to Michael Lorenzen. Hmm. And uh, assuming that the Angels do have him do some two-way stuff, but I do think it would be something closer to you're probably a full-time reliever who can just hit or who is capable of hitting, and so we can use you as a pinch hitter or as a backup outfielder, and you, we won't be embarrassed by you doing it out there. I like it. I like it. John, are you ready to talk some uh, Minnesota Twins? Yes, I am. Okay, Minnesota Twins, season from hell. Like, no, I don't think either of us coming into 2021 thought um, the Minnesota Twins would fall off this much. We thought that the AL Central was going to be more tight than, uh, than what it ended up being with the Chicago White Sox, but... I was a little dubious about, I think we were both a little bit dubious about the La Russa factor um, with Chicago and everything going on there, but um, they won a bunch of games. They were the best team in the central, but they were also kind of fraudulent, uh, but especially when you look at the, how they were against uh, winning teams versus losing teams, but they still won the division and the twins just completely erupted. And that, uh, that competence and that consistency from the, the previous couple of years just quickly evaporated and it uh it was kind of amazing to just see how quickly things just unraveled and how dire things got for them i mean the kansas city royals won more games than the minnesota twins this past year the detroit tigers won more games than the twins and that is just 
preposterous yeah, but that probably shouldn't happen it shouldn't happen and the twins tried like the twins our biggest concern if i recall was just the starting pitching we're like eh, i feel a little bit better if they had this but like outside of that we're like I-, I don't think either of us thought that they could actually bottom out to 73 wins in 2021 so john yeah, what happened I-, I mean what happened is well they didn't have enough pitching everybody got hurt and by the time that was no longer as much of the case they'd already decided to give up um, and I think, I mean, sometimes that happens. The team gets off to a bad start and then they end up just tanking themselves down the stretch because there's no real point to playing any better. Because by this, I, I, I'm just looking at their schedule because I, I, I want to make sure I'm actually getting these things right. To you, the listener, I, I'd like to try to get things right. Um, I'm in favor of that. But like, yeah, they went, I mean, they, they just got, they got sort of such a bad start. They were below 500 every, every month for the first four months of the season, uh, nine and 15 in April. And you look at it, it really was just pitching. They allowed so many runs. I mean, they allowed 834 runs. They have, that's a Pythag- they're Pythag- they were 73 and 93, or 73 and 89 by Pythagorean win loss. They should have been two wins even lower than that. And I think it really, a lot of that you can just point to the pitching. And some of that is, you know, Kenta Maida got hurt, or Kenta Maida both struggling last year and then blowing out his elbow. I mean, not a whole lot you can do about that. But. I do think I do think if there was something that I feel like and by the way those 834 runs the fourth most runs allowed in the majors last season so yeah it really was an enormous pitching problem which and I we will get to this the Twins have not really done a whole lot of anything to figure out but I think something you and I talked about and something I, I if, if we didn't I, d- I just think I remember being part of the conversation around last year's offseason was why aren't the Twins doing more because I, I think you and I talked about that that this that this was a team that we both liked, but we both felt like there's there's still stuff missing, and it's not like the White Sox are bad. So why aren't they more aggressive about fixing the things that are wrong here? You know, and I think that I think that really did bite them last year that they just didn't have that depth for when things went wrong. I mean, their biggest free agent signings were Jay Happ and Andrelton Simmons. Uh, a few aside from bringing back uh, Nelson Cruz, like that can't happen. Your rotation additions. Coming into a season where you were going, where you were supposed to be a genuine contending threat, cannot be Jay Happ and Matt Shoemaker, and uh, well, he's on a he's on a starter, but like Alex Colomay, you have to do more than that. And and that's the thing that's just been the case with the Twins for what feels like a while now. It's like why aren't they doing more? Especially when you consider like I, this is the other part. I don't necessarily know what the twins are trying to do right now in terms of what direction they're going. I don't, I don't know how you feel about, you know, if you, if from looking at the twins roster, if you feel like this team really makes sense right now, this team doesn't make any sense to me right now. What do you mean? What, what's the biggest thing that stands out to you that just doesn't make sense? Is it well, the Byron? But well, I don't know what to do with Josh Donaldson. That's like, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, they're, they're just kind of stuck there. He's got, yeah. he's got another year under contract after this one. Like they, no one is going to eat the 40 some million dollars. He's still got left to go. Like that, that's just something they're stuck with. And he, and he is a good, he is a perfectly good, perfectly useful player when healthy. Obviously the problem is when healthy and also that the twins have not really figured out a decent backup solution at third base, which Granted, not too many teams have good starting third baseman just sitting around on their bench, mm-hmm. but the Twins don't have anything approaching anything quality on their bench uh, for when Donaldson is out. That's a really big problem for them. But to me, it's more okay, fine. You know, they were they were where they were at the deadline. They traded Jose Barrios. You know, they they made their moves. Whatever, I, I can understand it. They got and they got a good return on Barrios. Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson are both 
very good prospects and are both close enough to the majors that I think you can justify doing that. And it, it's not just that you're quitting. But to me, I, I think what I don't understand about this team in particular is, are they rebuilding? Are they contending? Are they doing both at the same time? Because this isn't a contending roster. This certainly is not a contending starting rotation. And I don't think it's a contending bullpen. And I have some real questions about the lineup. The lineup's not bad, a, though. This is not a bad offense. No, the, line, the lineup is the best part of the team, I yes. think. And, and the questions I have are more about along the lines of, can you really trust Miguel Sano? Or, boy, aren't Alex Kirilov and Trevor Larnack really similar and not actually all that great right now? Yeah. But to me, the bigger stuff is, how can you run out of rotation with... I mean, this is this is their projected starting rotation right now per our, per our depth charts. Dylan Bundy, Bailey Over, <laughs> Joe Ryan, Randy Dobnak, Lewis Thorpe. That is absolutely terrible. <laughs> I mean, there's some like Ober and Ryan have some upside, and I don't think Bundy is as bad as he was last year. I don't think he's as good as he was in 2020. I think there's probably some nice middle ground, but that middle ground might look like a four ERA, you know, or a league average ERA plus or whatever, you know. And then Dobnak and Thorpe are just total—they're total schmoes, you know. They're just soft tossing nobodies, and there's no real depth behind that either. Joan Duran got hurt last year. Uh, Jordan Belazovic, uh, Griffin Jacks, those are not really guys you feel super confident that they're just going to come up and just start, you know, tearing ass, essentially. The the best Twins pitching prospect, is, I mean, might be Belazovic, but it's probably Woods Richardson, but there's not really that much after that. It takes a bit. This player development uh, system for, the, for Minnesota, they've turned out some good ones, but they've also just seemed to kind of... Right now, they seem to be producing mostly left-handed corner outfielder sluggers who are bad defensively. That's the least, probably the least valuable thing your team can produce out of its farm system. Those guys exist everywhere. That, that's CJ Crone. There are so many CJs Crone. Like, that, that, that to me is just what I don't get. If you're going to try to contend with this team, or if you're not going to rebuild with this team, or if you're not going to, you know, get younger, you know, change the, change the roster, whatever, then what are you doing? Because you can't contend with this rotation. So what's, what is what is going to be essentially the point of this twin season? Because right now it looks to me like they're just kind of aiming for high 70s and hoping things pan out. Well, That's not really a very great strategy, if you ask me. But do you think they're going to they're gonna be active? Like, it's just hard to get a read on what they... Like, are they going to look at 2021 as just the, the Scott... Like, everything went wrong that could have possibly gone wrong, but we think we can bounce back? Because... One of the things you have to consider, it's different. Like, if they're in the AL East, I have a different perspective on them. Even at the AL sure, West I mean, at this the, point. If they're in the AL East, yeah, they're like, a, you know, they're fighting with the Orioles for last yes. place. In the AL West, they're fighting with whoever for last place. They're probably place, not yes. a playoff team. They don't really have a realistic shot in either right. of those two divisions. Uh, no, you're right. The AL Central is the only division, I think, in which they can conceivably pull this off. Although, it's, that's not a guarantee either. Chicago mm-hmm. is still good. Detroit has gotten better. It's not a guarantee, um, but they're in it. Like, if they make some tweaks, sure. I, I think they can bounce back. But I, I guess the thing is, like, and then I, I go back to the rotation for this. Like, there aren't really any tweaks left you can make. Yeah. The starting pitching market for agency-wise is done. Unless they have, unless the Twins have a magic plan to lure Clayton Kershaw over, there's <laughs> no one out there who's really going to make a, a significant difference for them. So then you're yeah. talking trade, but, like, at, at, I, I, I don't know. Maybe there's a trade they, they feel like they're willing to pull out of their hat once there's a new CBA. Or maybe the maybe the twins are just considering twenty twenty two as kind of a basically a gap year. Maybe we contend, maybe we don't. 
you know, but we figured, but we, you know, basically try to bounce back, see how things go, and then make a decision on our direction once we have a better idea of what this team looks like, which is fair. I guess the other part of that for me is there, where are, I think if anything, if you're the twins, you're trying to, you're probably trying to figure out right now, what is the long-term core of this team? I think they obviously gave bucks in the big extension, seven years at a hundred million. So clearly he is a part of it. Um, clearly the guys they got for Barrios will be a part of it. Clearly as of right now, Alex Kirilov and Trevor Larnack will be a part of that and all the other young prospects they have. Although one of the things that really hurts them too, and this is, this farm system had a lot of injury problems last year. Probably the biggest one was Royce Lewis not playing at all last year because of a torn ACL. He's basically missed the last two years of development. That's really, really bad for him. Um, he's taken a real, real dive in that respect. And the Twins really need him to stay healthy and produce this year because I have to imagine a lot of their future was planned out around having this kind of franchise shortstop, and that has not been the case so far. Um, although, granted, they I don't know if they looked at Nick Gordon as a franchise anything when they drafted him, but he was the number five pick when they drafted him, so they clearly had some hopes. But, I mean, the other part is that there's not really that much on this team left to trade. Uh, your notable free agents, or your notable guys who will be free agents next year who the Twins would move if they're not winners would be Taylor Rogers and Tyler Duffy. I, I don't know how much that's really going to get you back. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much anyone would be interested in Miguel Sano, who will be a free agent, I believe, after next year. Uh, I don't know if you'd, be, if you'd find anyone all that interested in the 29-year-old Max Kepler, who really does just seem like kind of a you know 110 OPS plus corner outfielder with a decent glove that's not all that valuable. Like, I guess my question is, what what are the pieces here on the Twins, or who are the guys on the Twins, better said, who are going to be part of the next good Twins team? Because I think it's pretty clear that the core, or the window for that kind of last Twins team that Barrios was a part of, and that um, and that Buxton has been a part of, and that Snow and I think I think that team is I think the window for that team is closed, and I think they're probably trying now to figure out what is next. I just don't think that the Twins have done a very good job this offseason putting themselves in position to find out who those guys are. Because the additions they've made have just been really underwhelming. And or they're just, in a lot of cases, they just seem like they're going to be relying on guys they've already had in their system who we can pretty decisively say are not really anything. Like, I don't really think there's some hidden ceiling for Randy Dobnak or Lewis Thorpe that we have yet to see. Those guys are just who they kind of are at this point. So the question for me is going to be, you know, if this is kind of a gap year and if this is going to be a year where you're just trying to dig up and find guys, who are they? Because you really haven't added anyone over the course of this offseason where you go, ooh, that's an intriguing – like, that's the thing. Like, Twins, they have not done anything where you're like, ooh, that's, a, that's an intriguing move for the Twins. They've just kind of stayed put. Well, they and did give really get... Bucks in a seven-year deal, which – They did, but I, I think part of that was they didn't really have a choice. Hmm. I, I don't. Well, I mean, are you not I, concerned I, about the injury? Like, I, I mean, they had a choice. Well, I, I'm, I'm less concerned about it because it's only a hundred million dollars over seven years. That's, okay. that's frankly, that's so little money in the grand scheme of things. That's about fifteen million a year. Yeah. If Buxton ends up missing half that contract for all intents and purposes, that's not great. But it's not, it's not something that submarines a franchise. No, um, but it's just a big financial twins, commitment, and they need it him is, but for them to bounce back. He has to be healthy. Yes, he has to be, and I think that's why they gave him that deal because they identified if any any good Twins team between now and when that contract ends, Byron Buxton must be at the center of. And I think that's right. He's far and away the best player on this team, purely by. Um, by his potential and what he can do. It's weird to be talking about a guy's potential when he's 28 years old. But we saw what Byron Buxton did last year. When what do you have, like a 169 WRC plus or something? He was, yeah, he was, he's bonkers. He was, 
it was absurd. And again, that talent is still there. And I, I am, I am genuinely worried that he's just never going to be able to stay healthy enough to, to see it all the way through. Health is a, health is a tool as any, just as much as contact and power and speed. Health is a tool. Durability is a tool. Some guys have it and some guys simply do not. And that's really unfair, but that is life sometimes. And Buxton doesn't make it any easier on himself because of the fact that he's constantly going a uh, hundred miles an hour, which is just, you know, an endless array of soft tissue injuries for him. And the fact that I think he does it less now, but it's especially his really aggressive play of uh, style of play in center field, which just leads to a lot of collisions with the wall. But I think that's just what bugs me about the twins right now. Is it just build around Buxton? Fine. Great. I understand that. I think that I would do that too. And I think it's a good contract or at least I think it's a fair deal for both sides. And I don't think there's terribly that much risk for Minnesota. The thing about it is, but like, I don't, what is the next step after that? If all they've really done this winter is just extend Buxton, which to be frank, feels like all they have really done this winter. That doesn't feel like enough either in either direction, you know, cause I think it's true. The worst place I think you could be in baseball is that kind of middle of nowhere, 81 win team. And I think that got to a point where we started crapping too much on those teams that were in those low eighties win totals, because that, those teams can still make the playoffs if everything breaks just right. I think it's more the idea of being one of those low eighties win teams that doesn't really seem to have a visible plan in place, you know, where you don't really get the sense that this is, Oh, a young team on the rise. Or that this is a team where, hey, some stuff went wrong, but this is still a really talented roster where everything can bounce back. And you feel good about saying, oh, that was, if not a fluke, it was at least something where I don't think this is this team's true talent level. What is this team's true talent level right now? 77 wins, probably? With this rotation, yeah, probably somewhere around there. And I don't see the point of that. because, yeah. Especially because no one in that rotation, may, with the exception, I think, of Ober and Ryan, and maybe if they get some some good innings out of Belazovic, or, or Griffin Jacks or, you know, whoever else they bring up. I don't think the Twins are have put themselves in a position to learn anything about the guys on their – or not learn anything about the guys on their team. I don't think they put themselves in a position to, to find anything new here. I think they just seem content to run with this – to run it back with more or less the same roster from last year except a way worse rotation and see if that works for some reason. I, I, I can't really say I get it. May, I don't know if you're if you're a Twins fan, you're listening to this, and you you can you can explain Minnesota's plan better. Please, I I would like to know. I like the Twins. I like that franchise. I I just don't really. I, it just seems like last year kind of system shocked them so badly that mm-hmm. they didn't really know what to do next. I I really don't think. I mean, obviously, you never plan to lose like you know eighty eighty nine games, but unless you're the Orioles, but <laughs> sometimes you plan for more. Sometimes you plan for more, but at the same time, it, it seems like whatever the twins had planned for 2021, the actual results threw them so off that I, I feel like they're just kind of trying to regain almost their balance in a sense. Like they're trying to restabilize things and that's understandable. Um, I, I do think this is, this is a weird roster in some respects. A lot of it is old and on its way out. A lot of it is on the younger side, but hasn't really shown anything. There's just a lot of replacement level talent here. Like, you know, there, there's good, there is bad. I just don't, I just can't get the sense from looking at this team's roster right now and from looking at their offseason as a whole as to, it, it's almost like I can't really see the path or the plan to getting better. I mean, obviously it involves getting better players, but the Twins did a, I guess that's what it all boils down to. If the Twins want to be better, they did a really bad job this offseason of getting or acquiring the players who would make that happen. And I don't understand why. Mm. Well, 
That's a good. That's a good ending to the Minnesota Twins at this point. Is I yeah, don't sorry, understand sorry why. The twins. I, I I genuinely do like the Twins. I like Rocco Baldelli a lot. Like I love watching Josh Donaldson play. I love watching Buxton play. He's probably one of my top five favorite non Red Sox players. Um, just so so much fun. But yeah, that's I I just don't know why they had such a quiet off season. I really don't get it. Beyond, of course, the fact that the Twins don't like spending money. So. <laughs> Well, yeah, but they're they're worse. Uh, they're they're worse situations, and I, I'm just so curious because the Royals are steadily trying to do more, and you know, with Wit and uh, the the guys that they have coming up, um, it's it, I think they're on the up and up. You have the White Sox, who I think are the favorites again next year, and I think they're they're there for a little bit while longer and then you have the tigers who are just the biggest wild card in the al central yeah. so i don't know it's it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds because it is oh it's also interesting because and i assume once we get to them we'll talk about them but really do the twins look the twins feel like kind of the inverse of the guardians mm. cleveland has the good pitching but no real offense and yeah. minnesota has a pretty good offense but no real pitching let's combine them next like year yeah, and it just, but it just feels like they're going to end up in like a kind of similar place. Those are both those, both those teams are going to win seventy nine games and just be kind of staring at each other, going, "What did we do all that for?" Yeah, like what did we like? It, it's like it's. Have you seen um burn before reading or burn after reading? Sorry, yes. Uh, it's it's basically just a bit at the end with J.K. Simmons going, "What did we learn, if anything?" <laughs> that's that's just me. What so many twins seasons feel like? Just what did we learn? Uh, nothing. <laughs> we learned nothing. <laughs> oh man. Uh well sorry I don't I want to be so mean about the twins I really we're not being mean we're being just, honest it's yeah their situation it's, it's the plight it is just so frustrating to me when a team like the twins that has the ability to be better all you got to do is just spend more and they don't do it I will that's say though too like to they, it was not that hard to make that's the thing and, and to, I I know we're, we spent so much time talking about the twins no but this is my thing if you look at this twins roster or if you looked at the twins roster before the offseason started before they made any moves. I don't think it would have been impossible to make that, to take that team back to functional contender status mm-hmm. with with spending the right money and making the right moves. I don't know exactly what they are. I don't have like a, a master Minnesota Twins offseason plan in my head, but it, it just feels it just feels weird to me that this team, which is not again not this is not the Orioles. This is not a, a, a tanking team with no hope of contention. This is a team with already good contending pieces on the roster that they did nothing. In either direction, it's just so weird to me. I, I don't get that at all. Yeah. But it's also going to be interesting, too, is that, like, nobody in the AL Central is trying to lose anymore. Like, I think they're all, uh, yeah, like, I mean, they all want to at least be competent. Like, there's no yeah, there's no tankers here. No, that's true. And that's a good point. At worst. And, th- and that's the thing where I also wonder how that helps or hurts teams like Minnesota or Cleveland, where those two are theoretically the teams that are trying the least at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, a, yeah. there are not going to be as many easy wins in this division next year. I agree. Certainly. I, I, like, I think, I think the there's no to... way that the Tigers and the Royals aren't even better than they were this past year. Like, they're going to challenge for 80-plus yeah. wins, maybe 90, it, the I Tigers, so depending too. on who I they think, have. I think, I think the AL Central might end up looking a lot like the NL East, where there isn't really, mm. like, a super team, and there's not necessarily a great team even, but there yeah. are uh, enough good to good to potentially great teams i guess the basement in the nl east was a little lower but part of that was because you had something like the nationals fire sailing in the back half and the marlins just not being able to hit but but both went into the season trying yeah i I think there's going to be 
for the most part, I think all those teams are going to be kind of in the hunt for a good period of time. And I think that the AL Central, unless Chicago completely runs away with it, which is certainly possible, you know, that is that is the most talented team in the division and certainly the one with the best odds to just rip off like 97 wins and put everyone in the, in, into the dust. But if that doesn't happen, I can easily see the Central being one of those divisions that just goes completely down to the wire. And one of those divisions where we're just sitting around all season going, can no one actually wants to win this shitty division. <laughs> Yeah, it's the NL East where it's like the White Sox are going to make the case to not win the division all next year, kind of like the Mets, where they're like, we don't want this. We don't want this. Yeah. Someone, someone can please, com- please, please. We're so full. We've had so much division already. <laughs> maybe, please, the twin- please. maybe the Twins can Tigers. be the Braves next year. Who knows? There's no, I mean, there's nothing that says they can't, but that that's, and just gets back to what I said. Like, you put yourself in better position to be the Braves if you do stuff like, I don't know, have a good rotation, or at least not a bad rotation. Yeah. I don't know if the, I don't know if the Twins rotation would be the worst in baseball, but it is not going to be a good one. Boy, yeah. they have some, like Dylan Bundy is the one <laughs> on that depth chart right now. That's not a good sign. Has anyone liked? I, I feel bad for Dylan Bundy because like if he was a, the number four, number five on a good team, he would not oh, get, sure. he would not catch all the strays. But he's been like the number one guy on multiple teams he, now. I mean, he had just the, the sheer bad luck of being since he was one of those Orioles draft yeah. picks, of having to deal not only with that pressure. But also with then being a bust and then, you know, having to leave Baltimore finally and then finally having a good year and then it all blows up again. Like, this dude just had a rough career. Moral of the story, don't get drafted by Baltimore. Yeah, moral of the story, do not get, do not be a pitcher and get drafted by Baltimore. If Grayson Rodriguez really does make it, boy, we're, he <laughs> deserves a medal. <laughs> make the statue, raise the banner, do whatever you got to do. Yeah, it's like Adley Rutschman, we're just assuming, like, yeah, Matt Weir, so they can do this. It's just... <laughs> I'll be so sad if Adley Rutschman is bad. That, not, 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 not that Matt Weeters was bad, but I'll just be very sad if Adley Rutschman is not everything he is supposed to be. Let's hope so, because it, w- it would be good for baseball, and I think it would be good for uh, the Orioles and everything else, and making the Orioles at least a little bit more interesting. Yeah. Um, John Taylor, who are we doing next week? Is it uh, the Royals next week? Yeah, yeah, let's talk the Kansas City Royals, where we're going to just do the same thing we do all the time. We go, eh, this team's got a little, this team might be a little something, and then they win, then they lose 85 <laughs> Well, to be fair, they got a really, really, really interesting young kid coming up. Like, it's going to yes, be fun to talk do. about. Yes, And Mr. Bobby Witt Jr., which... He's going to be good. The fact that, yeah, we are we are now reaching our, our next stage of famous juniors to make <laughs> everyone feel ancient. It's just, it's, uh, it's a part of our life now, John, as two guys in our 30s. It's, yeah. it's a part of our life that uh, we're just going to be... Uh, feeling rather old all the time. Um, and I feel like juniors yeah. are making a comeback. A lot more juniors, I'm seeing. Um, then then you have the, the dads, the seniors, who are like, hey, just so folks know, uh, uh, you know, you know what I've been up to. Uh, I'm a senior. And there's only one way to become a senior, folks. There's only one way. And uh, it's good that the good athletes are reminding the, the folks viewing at home what's going on there. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> John Taylor, we can find you on Twitter.com at J.A. Taylor. We can go read you and all the great folks, Jay Jaffe, Dan Zimbrowski, who's doing his Zips projections, which are very good. Um, love reading those every year. All at Fangraphs.com. So if you've not already become a member, make sure to go do that. Um, also, make sure, like we said, Spotify. It's a thing. Go leave us a five-star rating on Spotify. Uh, follow myself at chase underscore thomas and uh, go check out chase thomas podcast.com fangraphs.com bookmark them both 
And uh, thank you so much, John. And I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.